Chapter five, Atlantean secret knowledge, its betrayal and subsequent fate. Rudolf Steiner widens the perspective dramatically to reveal the cosmic dimension of the struggle that was emerging in the development of humanity. Not only the future of human beings, but the balance of cosmic forces affecting the whole earth and even beyond was at stake. In describing the events leading to terrible catastrophe, Steiner also reveals how Manu was the representative of the sun power in spiritual evolution, that is, of the redeeming power we know as the Christ. As a Christ initiate long before the earthly appearance of Christ, he was therefore able to bring to bear the human evolution, he, he was therefore able to bring to bear on human evolution the spiritual forces that would give to man moral individuality. Hence, although the secret knowledge of Atlantis was lost through the betrayal of the oracles, there would come a time when through Christianity, human beings would be able to be in equilibrium once again with the divine cosmic powers. <clears throat> During the Atlantean age, it was possible for some individuals to be entangled in the world of the senses to a minimal extent. This transformed the Luciferic influence from an obstacle to human evolution into an instrument of further progress that put these individuals in a position to develop their knowledge of earthly things earlier than would have been otherwise possible. As part of this process, these people attempted to eliminate error from their mental activity and to discover the original intentions of spiritual beings in the phenomena of the world. They kept themselves free of urges and desires of the astral body that were directed only towards the world of the senses. And thus they became increasingly free of the astral body's errors, which is desire. <clears throat> The conditions this brought about in them led them to perceive only with the part of the life body that was separate from the physical body. Under these conditions, the physical body's perceptive capacity was wiped out, so to speak, and the physical body itself seemed dead. Through their life bodies, these human beings then united completely with the domain of the spirits of form, who showed them how they were being led and guided by the exalted being who had assumed leadership during the separation of sun and earth, and who was later to make human beings receptive to the understanding Christ. 
These individuals were initiates. However, because human individualities had entered the domain of the Luciferic beings, as a rule, even these initiates could not be directly touched by the great sun spirit, who could only be shown to them by the moon spirits as if in reflection. They saw only the sun being's reflected glory. These individuals became leaders of the other human beings and were able to communicate to them the mysteries they had beheld. They attracted disciples whom they taught how to attain the state leading to initiation. Their knowledge, previously revealed through Christ, could be acquired only by people who were sun humanity. S-U-N, sun humanity, in the sense indicated above. They nurtured their mysterious knowledge and the practices that led to it in a special place, which we can call the Christ Oracle or the Sun Oracle. Oracle, that is, in the sense of a place where the intentions of spiritual beings are perceived. What is said here about Christ will be misunderstood unless we consider the fact that supersensory knowledge necessarily sees the appearance of Christ on earth as an event that was foretold by those who were already aware of the meaning of the earth's evolution, or evolution prior to this event. It would be a mistake to assume that these initiates had a relationship to Christ that would be possible only later after his actual appearance on earth. However, they were able to grasp in a prophetic way and make comprehensible to their disciples that anyone touched by the power of the sun being sees Christ approaching the earth. Other oracles were called into being by Saturn, Mars, and Jupiter humans. The vision of these of the initiates of each group was directed upwards only as far as the being who could be discerned as the corresponding higher eye in the life bodies of the members of their group. This is how the wisdom of Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars acquired followers. In addition to these methods of initiation, there were also methods for those who had absorbed too much of the Luciferic principle, which prevented as large as part of their life body from separating from the physical body, as was the case in sun humanity. In these people, the astral body retained more of the life body in the physical body, 
and they were incapable of being brought to a prophetic revelation of Christ by means of the conditions which have described. Because of the Luciferic principle's greater influence on the astral bodies, they had to undergo more difficult preparations before being able, in a less body-free state than the others, to behold the other higher beings, though not Christ. Let me repeat that. In addition to these methods of initiation, there were also methods for those who had absorbed too much of the Luciferic principle, which prevented as large as part of their life body from separating from the physical body, as was the case in sun humanity. In these people, the astral body retained more of the life body inside the physical body, and they were incapable of being brought to a prophetic revelation of Christ by means of the conditions we have described. Because of the Luciferic principle's greater influence on the astral bodies, they had to undergo more difficult preparations before being able in a less body-free state than the others to behold the other higher beings, though not Christ. Among the beings they were able to see, however, were certain ones who, although they had left the earth when the sun separated from it, were, were not yet at a level that would have permitted them to participate in the sun's evolution for any length of time. After the sun's separation from the earth, these beings pulled Venus out of the sun in order to make it their dwelling place. The being who became their leader also became the higher ego of the group of initiates and their followers described above. Something similar happened with the leading spirit of Mercury with regard to humans of a different type. This is how the Venus and Mercury oracles came about. Human beings of the particular type who had absorbed the most Luciferic influence were able to reach up only as far as the leader of the beings who had been the first to be expelled from the sun's evolution. This being did not occupy a particular, particular planet in cosmic space, but lived in the surroundings of the earth itself, having reunited with it after returning from the sun. This being manifested as the higher ego of human beings who can be called followers of the Vulcan Oracle. Their vision was directed more towards earthly phenomena than was the case with the other initiates, and they laid the first foundations for what later became the arts and sciences among human beings. In contrast, the Mercury initiates 
laid the basis for knowledge of more supersensory things. And the Venus initiates that did this to an even greater extent. The fact that the Vulcan, Mercury, and Venus initiates received their knowledge more in the form of their own thoughts and ideas distinguished them from the Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars initiates who received their mysteries more as a revelation from above and in a more finished state. The Christ initiates occupied the middle ground, receiving the ability to clothe their mysteries in human concepts along with their direct revelations. The Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars initiates had to express themselves in symbols to a greater extent, while the Christ, Venus, Mercury, and Vulcan initiates were more able to communicate through concepts. What reached Atlantean humanity in this way happened indirectly by way of the initiates. However, the rest of humankind also received special faculties as a result of the Luciferic principle. Because the exalted cosmic beings transformed certain faculties that might otherwise have led to ruin into a blessing. One such faculty was speech. Human beings received it as a result of the densification into physical material matter and nature and the separation of part of the life body from the physical body. During the time following the moon separation, human beings at first felt united with the physical ancestors through the group ego. But this common consciousness connecting descendants and ancestors was gradually lost over the course of the generations. Later descendants had an inner memory that no longer reached back to their earlier ancestors, but only to not very distant ones. People's memories of one or the other ancestor appeared only during contact with the spiritual world in their sleep-like states. They were then likely to feel at one with their ancestors. They believed these ancestors had reappeared in themselves. This was an erroneous idea of reincarnation that emerged primarily in the last part of the Atlantean age. The truth about reincarnation could only be experienced in the schools of the initiates. Only the initiates who saw human souls in the body-free state passing from one incarnation to another were able to communicate the truth about this to their disciples. At the point in the distant past that we are talking about here, the human physical figure was still very different from how it is now. To a great extent, it was still the expression of soul characteristics. 
human beings still consisted of matter that was softer and more delicate than what they acquired later. What is solid today was then still soft, supple, and malleable. Human beings with more pronounced soul and spiritual elements were delicate, mobile, and expressive in their bodily structure, while those who were spiritually less developed had body forms that were coarse, immobile, and less malleable. Advancement on a soul level contracted the limbs and kept a person's stature small, while delayed soul development and entanglement in sensuality expressed itself in gigantic size. During the growth period, people's bodies took shape according to what was forming in their souls in a way that seems incredible or even fantastic to our modern way of looking at things. Moral depravity in a person's passions, drives, and instincts resulted in a gigantic increase in material substance. Our present human physical form came about through contracting, densifying, and solidifying the Atlantean one. Prior to the Atlantean age, human beings were faithful copies of their soul character. But the causes that led to the post-Atlantean human form, which is solid and relatively independent of any soul qualities, were inherent in the processes of Atlantean evolution. The animal kingdom on earth became dense in its form much earlier than human beings. Under no circumstances can the laws currently governing the way that forms take shape in the kingdoms of nature be extended to the distant past. Towards the middle of the Atlantean age, a greater disaster was gradually building up within humankind. The secrets of the initiates should have been carefully protected from individuals who had not prepared their astral bodies to receive this knowledge by cleansing them of error. When such people did acquire an insight into this hidden knowledge, into the laws through which higher beings guided the forces of nature, they used these laws for purposes that served their aberrant needs and obsessions. The danger became even greater when these people entered the domain of the lower spiritual beings who could not participate in the earth's normal evolution and worked against it. These beings were constantly influencing human beings by promoting interests that actually worked contrary to human benefit. At that time, human beings still had the ability to use the natural growth and reproductive forces of animals and humans for their own purpose. Not only ordinary people, but also some initiates succumbed to the temptations provided by the lower spiritual beings and used these supersensory forces in the service of aims that ran counter to humanity's evolution. To carry this out, they chose associates who were not initiates. 
and who used the mysteries of nature's supersensory workings exclusively for baser purposes. The consequence was great corruption among mankind. The evil spread further and further. And since the forces of growth and reproduction, when uprooted and applied out of context, have a mysterious connection to certain forces at work in the air and water, these human actions released powerfully destructive natural forces. This led to the gradual destruction of the Atlantean region through catastrophes involving the Earth's air and water. The Atlanteans, at least those who did not perish in the storms, were forced to emigrate. The storms were changing the entire face of the earth. Europe, Asia, and Africa on one side and America on the other were gradually acquiring the shapes they have today. Vast numbers of emigrants headed for these lands. As far as our present situation is concerned, the most important migration were the ones that moved eastward from Atlantis. Europe, Asia, and Africa were gradually settled by descendants of the Atlanteans. Various peoples differing in their degrees of both development and corruption took up residence there. In their midst marched the initiates who guarded the mysteries of the oracles and established centers in various regions where the services of Jupiter, Venus, and so on were cultivated in both the good sense and the bad. The betrayal of the Vulcan mystery had an especially negative effect because their followers view was the most focused on earthly circumstances. This betrayal forced human beings to become dependent on spiritual beings whose prior development made them reject everything coming from the spiritual world that had evolved as a result of the earth's separation from the sun. As a result of this, these beings worked specifically in the human element that resulted from having sensory perceptions that drew a veil over the spiritual element. From this point onward, these beings acquired a great deal of influence over many of the Earth's human inhabitants. This influence first made itself felt in the fact that human beings were increasingly deprived of the feeling for the spiritual. Since the size, form, and flexibility of the human physical body were still to a very great extent determined by soul qualities during this period, the betrayal of the mystery also came to light in corresponding changes in the human race. Amorphous, amorphous human figures, grotesque in both size and shape, were created wherever human corruption was especially evident. Wherever supersensory forces were placed in the service of, of baser drivers' desires and passions, 
Such figures, however, could not persist beyond the actual Atlantean period. They died out. Physically, post-Atlantean humankind developed from Atlantean ancestors whose bodily forms had already solidified in a way that did not allow them to succumb to soul forces that were contrary to nature. There was a certain period in Atlantean evolution when the laws prevailing in and around the earth resulted in conditions that forced humans that forced human forms to solidify. <clears throat> Although the human races of humanity that had already solidified before this period were able to continue reproducing for a long time, their bodies gradually grew so restricting for the souls incarnating into them that these races were forced to die out. In actual fact, some of these racial forms persisted into post-Atlantean times and modified forms of the ones that remained sufficiently flexible continued to exist for a very long time. However, the ones among them that did remain flexible beyond this time tended to embody souls that had experienced the damaging influence of the betrayal of the mysteries to a very great extent. These forms were destined to die out quickly. Thus, ever since the middle of the Atlantean age, beings had been presented who exerted their influence in human evolution by making human beings live their way into the physical world of the senses in an unspirited way. This went so far that people saw phantasmagoric delusions and illusions of all sorts instead of the true form of this world. However, human beings were exposed not only to the Luciferic influence, but also to the influence of those other beings we have spoken about, whose leader can be called Araman. This is the name that was given to this being later on during the ancient Iranian civilization. Mephistophiles is the same being. Through this influence, human beings who had died fell into the hands of powers that made them appear like beings exclusively inclined towards earthly sensory circumstances. They were increasingly deprived of their free view into the processes of the spiritual world. They were made to feel that they were in Araman's power and were excluded from the fellowship of the spiritual world to a certain extent. One especially significant oracle preserved the ancient service in the purest form amid, amid the general decline. It was one of the Christ oracles and for that reason was able to preserve not only the mystery of Christ, but also the mysteries of the other oracles, since revelation of the most exalted sun spirit also disclosed the leading spirits of Saturn, Jupiter, and so on. 
The initiates of the Sun Oracle knew the secret of how to generate in certain human beings the types of life body that had been possessed by the best initiates of Jupiter, Mercury, and so on. With that means at this at their disposal, which cannot be discussed further here, they effectively perpetuated reproductions of the best life bodies of ancient initiatives and implanted them later in suitable individuals. The Venus, Mercury, and Vulcan initiates made it possible for similar processes to take place with regard to the astral bodies. In a certain period, the leading Christ initiate found himself isolated with a few associates who were only capable of receiving the secrets of the cosmos to a very limited extent because they were naturally predisposed to having physical and life bodies with the least degree of separation between them. At that time, such individuals were the best ones to assure the further progress of humankind because they experienced less and less during the sleeping state. The spiritual world was increasingly closed to them and lacked all understanding of what had been revealed in ancient times when human beings occupied only life bodies rather than physical bodies. The individuals in the immediate environment of this leader of the Christ Oracle were the most advanced with regard to the reunification of the physical body with the portion of the life body that was formerly separated from it. This reunification was gradually being accomplished among human beings as a consequence of changes that had taken place in their Atlantean home and on earth in general. Human physical and life bodies were coinciding to an ever greater extent. As a result of this, human beings lost their previously boundless faculty of memory and human thought life began. The part of the life body that was united with the physical body transformed the physical brain into the actual instrument of thinking. Only after this did human beings actually experience the ego within the physical body. Self-awareness awakened for the first time. To begin with, this was actually true of only a small percentage of human beings, primarily associates of the leader of the Christ Oracle. The mass of human beings scattered across Europe, Asia, and Africa preserved the remnants of old states of consciousness to varying degrees and therefore experienced the supersensory world directly. The Christ initiates associates were people of highly developed intellect. But of all the people living at that time, they had the least experience in the supersensory domain. These initiate moved with them from the west to the east. 
to an area in Central Asia. Wanting to protect them as much as possible from contact with human beings of less advanced consciousness. He educated these associates of his, and more especially their descendants, in accordance with the mysteries that were revealed to him. Thus, he trained a whole host of human beings who took to heart impulses that were in harmony with the mysteries of the Christ initiation. From among them, he selected the seven best to receive life bodies and astral bodies that were reproductions of those of the seven greatest Atlantean initiates. In this way, he educated one successor for each of the initiates of Christ, Saturn, Jupiter, and so on. These seven new initiates became the teachers and leaders of the human beings who had settled in the southern parts of Asia, especially in ancient India. Since these great teachers were actually endowed with reproductions of the life bodies of their spiritual ancestors, what was present in their astral bodies, namely the knowledge and understanding they had assimilated themselves, did not extend to what was revealed to them through their astral, through their life bodies. If this revelation was to speak in them, they had to silence their own knowledge and understanding. When they did so, the exalted beings who had spoken to their spiritual ancestors also spoke through them and out of them. Other than at the times when such beings were speaking through them, these were simple people gifted with whatever degree of intellect and emotional education they had acquired on their own. The origin of the mysteries. At that time, India was occupied by human beings who had markedly preserved a living memory of the ancient Atlantean state of the soul that had permitted experience in the spiritual world. A large number of these people also possessed a very strong tendency of heart and mind to want experience this supersensory world. Due to the wise guidance of destiny, the majority of people of this type who came from the best portions of the Atlantean population had migrated to Southern Asia. In addition to this majority, others had immigrated at different times. The Christ initiate mentioned above appointed his seven greatest disciples to the teachers of this association of human beings to give their wisdom and their commandments to this group of people. For many of these ancient Indians, very little preparation was required to bring to life in them the barely extinguished faculties that led to observation of the supersensory world because a longing for this world was actually a fundamental mood in Indian souls. 
They felt that the original home of human beings was in the supersensory world, that they had been transplanted from this world to the world that can be provided by outer sensory perception and the sense-based intellect. They felt that the supersensory world was the true one and that the sensory world was the Maya, an illusion of human perception. They drove by all possible means to open a view into the spiritual world. They were unable to develop any interest in the illusory world of the senses, or only to the extent that it proved to be a veil over the supersensory world. The power that the seven great teachers or rishis could exert on people like this was tremendous. And what they revealed made its way deep into Indian souls. And because the life bodies and astral bodies that had been passed down to them bestowed sublime powers of these teachers, they were able to have magical effects on their disciples. They did not actually teach, but their personalities acted upon those of others as if through magical powers. The civilization that came about in this way was completely imbued with supersensory wisdom. What is contained in the Vedas, the books of Indian wisdom, is not the original form of the exalted wisdom fostered by these great teachers in ancient times, but only a feeble echo of it. Only supersensory sight can look back to the original unrecorded wisdom behind what was written. An especially prominent characteristic of this original wisdom is the harmony and accord that existed among the various oracles of the Atlantean times. Each of the great teachers could divulge the wisdom of one of the oracles. And these various aspects of wisdom were in complete harmony because the fundamental wisdom of the initiation that prophesied the coming of Christ stood behind all of them. However, the teacher who was the spiritual successor of the Christ initiate did not present what this initiate himself who had remained in the background of evolution, was capable of revealing. Initially, it was not possible for the Atlantean Christ initiate to pass on his high office to any post-Atlantean individual. In contrast, the Atlantean Christ initiate, who was able completely to transmute his perception of the Christ mystery into human concepts, the Indian Christ initiate was only capable of presenting a reflection of this mystery in signs and symbols because his humanly acquired conceptual abilities could not encompass the, the mystery. Nonetheless, the result of the union of the seven teachers was a panorama of wisdom expressing their knowledge of the supersensory world, only parts of which could have been 
promulgated in Old Atlantean Oracle. This panorama revealed the exalted leadership of the cosmic world and quietly alluded to a great sun spirit, the concealed being who was enthroned above the beings revealed by the seven teachers. What the term ancient Indians means here is not what is usually understood by it. No outer documents have come down to us from the time we are speaking of here. The nation of people now known as Indians belongs to a historical stage of evolution that came about only much later than this. We must recognize the Indian culture described here as the prevailing culture of the post-Atlantean epoch in the Earth's history. After that came a second post-Atlantean epoch when the ancient Iranian civilization described later on in this book was the dominant culture. Still later, the Egypto-Mesopotamian civilization developed. It too will be described later. While the second and third post-Atlantean cultural epochs were taking shape, the ancient Indian culture also underwent its own second and third periods. The third period is what is commonly described as ancient India. We must not confuse what is described here with the historical ancient India spoken of elsewhere. What later led to separating people into castes was another characteristic of the culture of ancient India. The inhabitants of India were descendants of Atlanteans who had belonged to different types, who had belonged to different human types. The Saturn humans, the Jupiter humans, and so on. Though supersensory teaching, they understood that a soul's position in a certain caste was not a matter of coincidence, but a matter of self-determination. The fact that many people were able to stir up inner memories of their ancestors, as described earlier, made it easier for them to understand supersensory teachings in this way, but it also easily led to erroneous ideas about reincarnation. During the Atlantean age, the truth about reincarnation could only be acquired through the initiates. Similarly, during the earliest Indian times, this truth could only be acquired through direct contact with great teachers. In fact, the mistaken concept of reincarnation that was described earlier was extremely prevalent among the people who had spread out over Europe, Asia, and Africa after the sinking of Atlantis. And because initiates had gone astray during the Atlantean evolutionary period, had also shared this mystery with the people who were not ready to receive it, people increasingly confused to correct idea with the false one. Many of these people still possessed a dim kind of clairvoyance as a legacy of the Atlantean age. While the Atlanteans entered the domain of the spiritual world during sleep, their descendants experienced this spiritual world in abnormal intermediate states between waking and sleeping. In these states, images of 
older time to which their ancestors had belonged appeared in them. So they considered themselves reincarnations of people who had lived in those times. Teachings about reincarnation that contradicted the initiate's genuine ideas on the subject spread over the entire earth. Ongoing migrations from west to east since the beginning of the destruction of Atlantis led to the settlement of the Middle East by a group of people whose descendants went down in history as the Iranians and their affiliated tribes. Supersensory cognition, however, must look much further back in time than the recorded history of these ethnic groups. We must first speak about the later Iranians, very distant ancestors, who issued in the second group a book of civilization in post-Atlantean evolution. It came about after the Indian civilization. The people of this second epoch had a different task from the Indians. Their inclinations and longings were not directed only at the supersensory world, but were also adapted to the physical world of the senses. They began to love the earth. They valued what human beings could conquer for themselves on earth and what they could gain through earthly forces. Their accomplishments as a warrior nation and the methods they invented for extracting the earth's treasures are related to this characteristic of their nature. There was no danger that their longing for supersensory would turn them completely away from the illusion of the physical, sense-perceptible world. On the contrary, they were more in danger of completely losing their soul's connection to the supersensory world because of their approach and appreciation for the physical world. The character of the oracles that had been transplanted from Atlantis also reflected the general character of the people. Formerly, human beings had been able to acquire certain powers by experiencing the sub supersensory world. In that time, it was still possible to control some lower forms of these powers. Of these powers, there were those cultivated in the oracles that guided natural phenomena in ways that served personal human interests. These ancient people still had great ability to control forces in nature that later retreated beyond the reach of human will. The guardians of the oracles, who had inner forces at their command that were related to fire and other elements, can be called magi or magicians. The legacy of supersensory knowledge and supersensory forces that they had preserved for themselves, although insignificant in comparison to what human beings had been capable of in the still more distant past, appeared in many different forms, ranging from the noblest arts, whose only purpose was the welfare of human beings in the most reprehensible practices. The Luciferic principle prevailed in these people in a very particular way, connecting them with everything that could distract human beings from the intentions of those higher beings who would have been the sole guides of human progress if the Luciferic intervention had not happened. 
even the members of this people who were still gifted with remnants of the ancient clairvoyant state, the intermediary state between walking and sleeping that was described earlier, felt very drawn to the lower beings of the spiritual world. Felt very drawn to the lower beings of the spiritual world. Because these people needed a spiritual impetus that would counteract this character trait in them, they were supplied with leadership by what had also been the source of ancient Indian spiritual life, namely the guardian of the mysteries of the sun oracle. For these people, the guardian of the sun oracle provided a leader who can be referred to by the name that has come down to us in history as Zoroastrian. But it must be emphasized that the person we are speaking about here belonged to a much earlier age than the historical bearer of the name. However, we are dealing here with a question of spiritual science rather than one of outer historical research. Anyone who cannot help but think of a later age in connection with the bearer of the name Zarathustra can consile this with spiritual science by thinking of the historical Zarathustra as a successor to the first great Zarathustra as someone who assumed his name and worked in the spirit of his teaching. The impulse Zarathustra needed to provide for his people cons consisted in pointing out that the physical world of the senses is more than just the spiritless thing people encounter when they fall exclusively under the influence of being a influence of the being of Lucifer. Human beings owe their personal independence and their sense of freedom to this being. However, Lucifer is supposed to work in them in harmony with the opposite spiritual principle. It was important for the ancient Iranian people to remain alert to the presence of this other spiritual being. Their incarnation towards the physical world of the senses threatened to make them mere completely with the Luciferic beings. Let me repeat that. The impulse, Zarathustra, needed to provide for his people consisted in pointing out that the physical world of the senses is more than just the spiritless thing people encounter when they fall exclusively under the influence of the being of Lucifer. Human beings owe their personal independence and their sense of freedom to this being. However, Lucifer is supposed to work with them in harmony with the opposite spiritual principle. It was important for the ancient Iranian people to remain alert to the presence of this other spiritual being. Their inclination towards the physical world of the senses threatened to make them merge completely with the Luciferic beings. 
Now, the initiation Zarathustra had received through the guardian of the sun oracle allowed him to receive the revelations of the exalted sun beings. His training had led him to special states of consciousness in which he was able to behold the sun's being's leader who had taken the human ether body under his protection as previously described. Zarathustra knew that this being was guiding the evolution of humanity but would only be able to descend to earth from cosmic space at a certain point in the future. For this to happen, this being would have to be able to live in the astral body of human being in the same way that he had been able to work in the human life body ever since the Luciferic intervention took place. For this to happen, a human being would have to appear who had transformed the astral body back to the stage it would have attained without Luciferic at a back, Luciferic at a certain point, at a certain other point in time. I will repeat that. Okay. Zarathustra knew that this being was guiding the evolution of humanity, but would only be able to descend to earth from cosmic space at a certain point in the future. For this to happen, this being would have to be able to live in the astral body of a human being in the same way that he had been able to work in the human life body ever since the Luciferic intervention took place. For this to happen, a human being would have to appear who had transformed the astral body back to the stage it would have attained without Lucifer at a certain other point in time, in the middle of the Atlantean period of evolution. Without Lucifer, human beings would have reached this stage earlier. But without personal independence and without the possibility of freedom. From this point onwards, however, human beings were to regain his high level in spirit of these traits of their character. In his clairvoyant states, Zarathustra saw that in humankind's future evolution, it would be possible for a specific person to have an astral body of this sort. He also knew that until this time arrived, it was impossible to find the spiritual forces of the sun on earth. They could be perceived, however, by means of supersensory sight in the domain of the spiritual portion of the sun. He was able to see these forces when he turned his clairvoyant gaze towards the sun. 
and he brought his people tidings of the nature of these forces, which at that time could be found only in the spiritual world, but would later descend to earth. In this way, he proclaimed the great spirit of the sun, the spirit of light, the sun aura, Ahura Mazda. For Zarathustra and his followers, the spirit of light became manifest as the spirit who turns his countenance towards human beings from the spiritual world and prepares the future within humankind. The spirit who points to the Christ before his appearance on earth was the spirit Zarathustra proclaimed as the spirit of light. In contrast, Zarathustra depicted Ariman as a power whose influence causes the human soul life to deteriorate when it surrenders to this influence in a one-sided way. This power is none other than the one described earlier as having achieved a particular dominion over the earth ever since the betrayal of the Vulcan mysteries. Along his tidings of the light god, Zarathustra also proclaimed the doctrine concerning spiritual beings that reveal themselves to the purified consciousness of the seer as the companions of the spirit of light. In stark contrast to those beings were the tempters who were appearing to the unpurified remnants of clairvoyance that had been retained from Atlantean times. It had to be made clear to the ancient Iranians that the human soul, to the extent that it was inclined towards working and striving in the physical world of the senses, was the battleground in a conflict between the power of the light god and that of its adversary. Zarathustra showed how human beings had to act so as not to be turned to good through the power of the spirit of light. Let me repeat that. Zarathustra showed how human beings had to act so as not to be led into the abyss by the adversary whose influence might be turned to good through the power of the spirit of light. Zarathustra showed how human beings had to act so as not to be led into the abyss by the adversary whose influence might be turned to good through the power of the spirit of light. The third post-Atlantean cultural epoch first developed among the peoples who eventually migrated into the Middle East and North Africa, the Babylonians of Mesopotamia 
on the one hand and the Egyptians on the other. They developed a still different understanding of the physical sense perceptible world from the ancient Iranians. In comparison to other ethnic groups, they had acquired much more of a spiritual predisposition for intellectual endowment, for the ability to think that had been developing since the latter part of the Atlantean age. As we know, it was the task of post-Atlantean humanity to develop soul faculties that could be acquired through awakened powers of thought and feeling that are not directly stimulated by the spiritual world, but come about when human beings observe the world of the senses, find their own way into it, and adapt it. Conquering the physical world with these human faculties must be seen as the mission of post-Atlantean humanity. This conquest proceed step by step. The ancient India people still saw the physical world as an illusion, although their soul makeup already directed them towards it, and their spirits turned towards the supersensory world. In contrast, the ancient Iranian people began an attempt to conquer the physical world of the senses, but to a large extent, they, did, they still did so with soul forces that were the legacy of a time when human beings could reach directly into the supersensory world. Among the peoples of the third cultural epoch, souls had lost much of their supersensory faculties. They had to investigate the spirit's manifestations in their sense-perceptible environment. Their progress came from discovering and inventing the cultural means of advancement, and their environment yielded. Humankind's sciences came about through the deriving, through deriving the laws of spiritual world from, from the physical sense world that concealed it. Technology and the arts and their tools and methods came about through recognizing and applying the forces of this sensory world. The Mesopotamian and Babylonians no longer saw the world of the senses as an illusion. They saw its natural kingdoms, its mountains, its seas, its air and water as manifestation of the spiritual deeds of power standing behind the world and they attempted to discover the laws governing these powers. The Egyptians, to the Egyptians, the earth was the setting for the work. In the state in which it was given to them, it was in need of being transformed through their own intellectual forces so that it would reflect the impact of human power. The oracles had been transplanted from Atlantis to Egypt, originated primarily in the Atlantean Mercury Oracle. But there were also others, the Venus Oracle, for example. What these oracles cultivated in the Egyptian people became the seed of a new civilization. The seed originated with a great leader, who had been trained in the Iranian mysteries of Zarathustra and was a reincarnation 
of one of the disciples of the great Zarathustra himself. If we went to cite a historical name, we can call him Hermes. Through absorbing the Zarathustrian mysteries, he was able to find the right way to guide the Egyptian people. In earthly life between birth and death, the Egyptians approached the physical world of the senses with their understanding in a way that allowed them to perceive the spiritual world behind the world of the senses only to a very limited extent. However, they were able to recognize spiritual laws in the sense-perceptible world. Therefore, they could not be taught about the spiritual world as one they would be able to enter during life on earth. Let me repeat that. Through absorbing the Zarathustrian mysteries, Hermes was able to find the right way to guide the Egyptian people. In earthly life between birth and death, the Egyptians approached the physical world of the senses with their understanding in a way that allowed them to perceive the spiritual world behind the world of the senses only to a very limited extent. However, they were able to recognize spiritual laws in the sense-perceptible world. Therefore, they could not be taught about this spiritual world as one they would be able to enter during life on earth. But it was possible to show them how human beings in the body-free state after death would commune with the world of spirits that left impressions in the sense-perceptible physical domain during an earthly human lifetime. Hermes taught that to the extent that the human beings on earth applied their forces to work in, in accordance with the initiations and intentions of spiritual powers. They make it possible for them to unite with these powers after death. In particular, those who had worked most diligently in this direction between birth and death would be united with Osiris, the exalted sun being. The Mesopotamian Babylonian aspect of this culture stream was more empathic than the Egyptian in directing the human mind towards the physical world of the senses. The laws of this world were investigated and spiritual archetypes were perceived in their sense-perceptible images. However, in many respects, these people remain caught in the sense-perceptible element. Instead of a star spirit, the star was pushed into the foreground, and the same was true of other spiritual beings and their earthly manifestations. Only their leaders acquired really deep knowledge of the laws of the supersensory world and how these laws work together with the sense world. 
the contrast between knowledge of the initiates and the mistaken belief of the people was stronger here than anywhere else. Conditions were quite different in the areas of Southern Europe and the Middle East, where the fourth post-Atlantean cultural epoch blossomed. We can call this Gratio Latin epoch. The migrants to these countries were the descendants of the people from many parts of the ancient world, and their oracles followed the traditions of many different Atlantean oracles. Some individuals possessed the legacy of ancient clairvoyance as a natural faculty. For others, it was relatively easy to acquire it through training. Particular centers not only preserved what had come down from the ancient initiates, but also developed worthy successors, who in turn trained disciples, who were capable of rising to high levels of spiritual perception. This meant that these ethnic groups possessed an inner urge to create a place in the sense-perceptible world that would express the spiritual element in its perfect form without the physical element. This urge resulted in Greek art, among many other things. If we can grasp a Greek, a, a Greek temple through spiritual sight, we will recognize that in this marvelous work of art, human beings have transformed the sense-perceptible material element in such a way that every part of it has become an expression of the spiritual. A Greek temple is the house of the spirit. In beholding its forms, we perceive what is otherwise seen only by seers. The temple of Zeus, or Jupiter, is fashioned in a way that presents our physical sense of sight with a worthy vessel for what the guardians of the Zeus or Jupiter initiation beheld with spiritual sight. This is true of all Greek art. In mysterious ways, the wisdom of the initiates flowed in poets, artists, and thinkers. In the construct of ancient Greek philosophy, the mystery wisdom of the initiates is found again in the form of concepts and ideas, the influence of the spiritual life, the mysteries of the Asians and African initiation centers flowed into these people and their leaders. The great Indian teachers, the associates of Zarathustra and the followers, followers of Hermes, had all trained disciples, and either their disciples or their successors then found initiation centers in which the ancient wisdom came to life in a new form. These were the mysteries, these were the mysteries of antiquity, where disciples were prepared to reach states of consciousness that would allow them to attain perception of the spiritual world. Wisdom flowed out of these initiation centers to those who cultivated the mysteries of the spirit of Ionia, mainland Greece, and Italy. In the Greek spelling world, the Orphic or 
Eleusinian mysteries developed into important initiation centers. The great teaching, teachings and methods of wisdom from earlier times worked on in the Pythagorean school of wisdom because Pythagoras had been initiated into the secrets of a variety of mysteries during his extensive travels. And that concludes chapter five.